Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? We're in Romans 14. That's near the back of the Bible for those of you newer to the faith. Romans 14, starting in verse uh, 13. Paul has been talking at length about the challenges of, of, um, of living with uh, liberty and yet with sensitivity in community together. So I get my glasses done. And um, he expands even further today, giving us the implications of that in Romans 14, 13 through 19. Here's what Paul says, speaking to the Romans and their struggles with uh, their diversity of values. It says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on the, one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know that I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Grass withers, flowers fade. Word of Lord, the inspired word of God stands forever. You may be seated. Well, we all have funny little rules, don't we, when it comes to how we do life? And sometimes that's true of the most unexpected people, including criminals. Brian Burnell tells of a man named Dennis Lee Curtis, uh, who was arrested in Rapid City, South Dakota, for armed robbery back in the 90s. In the wallet of Dennis Lee Curtis, the armed robber, the police found a sheet of paper with the following personal code of ethics, funny little rules, that he had for himself regarding armed robbery. Number one, I will not kill anyone unless I have to. (laughs) Number two, I will take cash and food stamps, no checks. Number three, I will rob only at night. How thoughtful. Number four, I will not wear a mask. How noble. Number five, I will not rob mini marts or 7-Eleven stores. He has high values, I guess. Number six, I will rob only seven months of the year. Amazing self-restraint, huh? And number seven, I will enjoy robbing from the rich and giving to the poor. (laughs) I guess we had a regular Robin Hood on our hands with Dennis Lee Curtis. It is interesting how we have funny little rules in life, isn't it? And what makes this criminal so interesting is he has his funny little rules about how he does life, even while robbing banks. Um, But we have to admit that when we do life with each other, we run into these funny little rules. And we find that there are distinct differences in how we do life in a very normal way, not by committing crime. And um, 
the difference is, uh, as we found in this text and going nice and slow through it, is that sometimes they create strains in relationships. And so we come today to Romans 14, where Paul talks about how funny little rules kind of bump into each other in community and how we actually can do relationship in that. And he's talking about, just so we're clear, matters of conscience. He's getting at the practical questions about how we deal with one another when we run into matters, uh, disputable matters of how we do life and our funny little rules. So our big question today is this. How can we, we believers actively pursue loving Christian community together when there really are so many differences in matters of conscience with each other? So um, we, uh, what we were going to do before we get to the text itself is do a little reminder of what kind of drives the Christian community in principle. And sometimes we think, you know, um, that we do, uh, we just kind of do relationship off the cuff. But in Christian community, the way we actually do relationship is based on three principles. And he's going to build on these three principles in four exhortations that we'll get to in a moment. But I want to deal with these three principles first that are really behind all of Romans 14 and even into 15. And the first is this. The three uh, principles come out of Scripture and how we do community. And they back, back up this text. And the first principle is this. It's the principle of law. We as Christians believe there is a right and a wrong. There's, there are moral blacks and whites. We have standards found in Scripture in the law of God. The Ten Commandments sum up uh, things like the Great Commandment. And, and, uh, and it is the truth that we live by and standards that God has presented. The law of God is how God wants things to be for everyone in this room. For all of us in community. But there is a second principle that is at work in Christian community in how we do relationships, and that is liberty. Galatians 5 says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We as Christians have the law, but we are also freed from uh, the laws of, uh, if you will, religion in the past, particularly the Old Testament, to enjoy the good gifts of creation ourselves. We are so saved by grace through faith in Christ alone that we are free from extraneous laws not governed by God's law. That's what uh, really uh, Christian freedom is ultimately about. There is a third principle that is really getting at the heart of what we're talking about in Romans 14. You've got law, you've got liberty, but you also have matters of conscience, liberty of conscience. Now, Calvin called this adiaphora. They are these matters or personal convictions uh, that all of us carry around and that are biblical applications of scriptural principles for us personally. Uh, God allows us, in other words, to have these matters of conscience, but he does not require everyone to have them like the law of God. These three principles of law, liberty, and matters of conscience are really what we live in in community together. But here's the thing. They must be held in tension. We believe all three of them at the same time and hold them in tension in order to do community effectively. If one of them is out of whack, then that affects everything else. Let me give you an example. 
Legalism arises when someone's personal, um, personal matters of conscience are spread on everybody else. You have to do what I think is important, which isn't necessarily what the Bible says. License, for example, on the other end, occurs when liberty goes wild and disconnects from law and even runs over matter of conscience, which is really what Paul's getting into in our text today. In every case, Paul is calling us to keep these three things in mind that we're always working out of God's truth and his law, God's truth about how we are free in Christ to enjoy the gifts of life, and we need to pay attention to these matters of conscience and how we deal with each other. Now, Paul, in our text, uh, in verse, starting verse 13, gives us four exhortations on how this works out in community, how we actually live this out. And the first exhortation comes from verse 13, which says this, Therefore, do, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Paul tells believers in church not to pass judgment too quickly on each other, but instead to decide to never put a stumbling block in, in, in one's path. And the interesting thing is the second word for decide in this word is actually the same word that you have for judge. He's saying, it's basically saying, don't judge each other, but judge to make a judgment that you are not going to cause your brother to struggle in their walks with Jesus on the path with Jesus. And, and, and why shouldn't we judge? Well, look at the therefore. You see that in the first verse here we're looking at in verse 13? Well, when you see a therefore in Scripture, you always go backwards to see what it's there for. In the prior verses, talk at length about how we will stand before the judgment throne of God and we will answer to Him. He's the ultimate judge of us and of other people. Therefore, we have to be very careful that we judge not on our own standards of people, but that we actually pay attention to the standard of God and leave some matters up to him to do the judging. In our super judgmental age, and that's exactly what we live in, it is hard when principled people get into community together. Now, what does that judgmentalism look like often in church? Well, let me give you three examples of what judgmentalism looks like in church. And the first is this. Uh, we can be uncharitable and call fellow Christians legalists or licentious when they aren't. Be careful with those words. We can talk about them in principle. But be careful when you put them on a person. Another way is we can accuse people of not getting God's law or not getting God's gospel and that's a really dangerous thing. They don't get the gospel. I've heard that so much in recent years, I'm like kind of glazed over. Let me see uh, the third one for you. And this is a way that we don't often think about in church community, that we judge each other. And Paul is saying, don't do that. Don't pass judgment too quickly in ways like this. And that is impugning motives. Many of you may have never heard that word, but an impugning motive is a is where we presume to understand why people do what they do. We say things like, they do this because of this, they do this because of that. And the most damning version of imputing modes is, is we're saying they don't trust God. Well, maybe they don't, but you got to be careful about imputing motives. <laughs> Who are we to say people 
aren't trusting God. The fact is, every time one of these thoughts of wanting to pass judgment quickly on people goes through our heads, here's what we need to do. We must have these thoughts first to deal before we start dealing with matters of judgment. I don't get the gospel. I don't always trust Jesus. I've got issues. (laughs) Start with yourself. That's what Jesus is calling us to is this unique Ability to look at ourselves through the eyes of God in a proper way. Now, Paul says in our text, we don't want to go that way of judgmentalism too quickly. We want to go the way instead of helping our brothers by not putting a stumbling block of offense in their way. The word for stumbling block or hindrance here is uh, the stumbling block word can be translated offense. The Hindrance word can be translated as the Greek word scandalon, where we get our word scandal from. You put something in someone's way as they're walking down the road of Christ, and it causes them to trip. That's the imagery that we're talking about here. It causes them to fall, if you will. And, And Paul is telling us this because he wants us to see very plainly that we are called to a unique life of Not putting things in people's ways so that they uh, stumble, but that they actually walk more freely towards and with Christ. Now, Paul's example in our text is that he goes on to give in our text is the matter of food. And can you believe it? In that time, people were having arguments over food. And that's what actually was happening. They... Uh, And we, we can presume from our text and from 1 Corinthians 8 that they were probably having a conflict over eating food that was sacrificed to idols. You know, back in their day, they would have, beside every idol temple, they'd have this little market right beside it where they're they're, uh, sacrificing their animals to their God, and then they'd take those animals and they'd cut them up and they'd make steaks out of them, barbecue. And and people would come and they'd want to buy the food that's being made out of these sacrificed animals. And... And a lot of Christians had a hard time buying it because they said, hey, man, it was a sacrifice to an idol. It might be tainted. Paul's saying, no, 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 it's good food. The problem is not in the food itself. The problem is what they're doing with it and how they're worshiping a false god. He said, you're free to eat the food, actually. It's okay. But some of the Christians who are living in their midst said, mm, I don't know, man, I have a hard time thinking that food was offered to this god. And he says, you know, if that's a real problem for you, don't eat it and I won't eat it around you. That's what he was saying in our text. Paul, again, did not have a problem with eating the food because Jesus himself has declared all foods clean. Yet again, he was asking the question, but how does my eating affect my brother? How does it come close to him? What does this mean for us? Well, what this means for us is we too can eat anything from creation, practically speaking, God's made all things very good, Genesis 1. Now, the Old Testament briefly limited for a season of history uh, of God's people that the Jews couldn't eat like hooved animals. That means they couldn't have barbecue like we like to have. But then in Mark 7, Jesus makes it very clear. He declares that all foods are clean. This means you and I can enjoy a good barbecue unlike the Jews of the Old Testament. However... If eating barbecue hinders the walk of another, then we have to hold back, eat something else. Eating barbecue 
granted is a silly example, but you can put anything in there in terms of what you eat or what you drink uh, in terms of how it affects your brother in Christ. Now, at this point, somebody might say, well, now, wait a minute. Uh, how, does this mean we have to dance around weaker Christians? Does this mean that we uh, have to live as people pleasers all the time? And the answer is no. Uh, verse 13 says we serve Christ in our text. And we serve him in such a way that we get to enjoy the gifts that he provides for us in creation. Uh, the only stumbling block that we put in the way of people is Christ and him crucified. Living for him, communicating about him, being faithful to him is the only real stumbling block that we present to people. But Paul's point is really simple. By serving Christ in love and serving our fellow Christians in love, we're out to help them in their walks with Christ, not hinder them in their walks. Now, a good biblical illustration of this comes from Acts chapter 15 and 16. If we were to go to Acts 15, we'd find this big event in the early church. I mean, huge, major moment in the early church. Here's what had happened. The, uh, the J very Jewish church that had started out in Acts 2 suddenly becomes very Gentile-oriented. And Gentiles are coming in by the loads into the church, receiving Christ and becoming Christians. As a result, there, a, a dispute breaks out. And this time it's a real theological dispute over should... Uh, Gentiles uh, who weren't who didn't grow up Jewish actually be circumcised before they come into the church, and uh, there was a group of guys called the Judaizers who actually were teaching: Yes, you must do this work in order to become a Christian and be in with Christ and be into His church. They debated this in Acts 15 amongst all the elders and apostles. And they came up uh, with an answer to this and said, no, in fact, they don't have to be circumcised. They receive Christ the same way Jews do, by grace through faith in Christ alone. And that's all there was. And Peter gave a strong speech to that point. So what's interesting is in that text, they shut down the heresy that's being taught at the time that you have to actually do a work to be saved by God. That it's not just by faith and receiving the work of Christ alone. But here's the interesting thing. In Acts chapter 16, the apostle Paul takes off doing mission. And you know what he does? He finds a guy named Timothy, a young guy, and he puts him under his wing and he's about to take him and do some mission to go plant churches and things like that. And he's a Jewish kid, this young Timothy. And yet he's never been circumcised. So what does Paul do? He has him circumcised. And you're going, wait a minute. In chapter 15, they just said with absoluteness, there is no way you have to be circumcised to become a Christian. But here in chapter 16, uh, Paul is actually circumcising Timothy. What's going on? Well, the answer is he's doing it so they can do mission among the Jews and not offend them. Because if the Jews they were doing mission with, both those who were believers and especially non-believers, knew that Timothy was a Jew who wasn't circumcised, it would break down the communication of the gospel. In other words, he asked Timothy to defer to um, the needs of others so the gospel could go out 
is a pretty extraordinary moment for the church. So why does, what does this matter to us? Well, if we are called as Christians to pay attention to each other and how we do relationship and our values and even our matters of conscience and liberty of conscience, we'll have to learn to defer to one another, to think of others as more important than ourselves, as Philippians 2 says. That brings us a second exhortation that comes in verse 15. Look at what it says right here real quick. It says, For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Now here Paul is telling us why it's so important that you defer. And he's uh, telling we're to help other people grow. If we use our Christian liberty in selfish ways... We are no longer working in love. We are demanding our rights. Hmm, that sounds very American, doesn't it? Give me my rights versus what is good for the whole or what is good for this part in particular. The sobering fact is we can use our freedom to hurt fellow Christians. And as my old uh, preaching mentor Haddon Robinson said, we really, Paul is basically, sa- basically saying, don't flaunt your freedom. Don't flaunt your freedom so it becomes an offense. In fact, use your freedom for the glory of God and to build up others. Now, how do we understand offenses? I want to talk about this because we live in an age where, a Twitter age, where all somebody has to do is write something, just a little line that can easily be misunderstood, and the whole world blows up. How do we handle offense? Well, John Calvin gives us two categories of offenses that I think would be really helpful in helping us understand how we do community with each other and how things can be handled when we feel an offense. And the first is this. There is an offense given. And the second is this. There is an offense that is taken. When an offense is given, it is actual sin or even misuse of liberty, like our text says, that leads another to temptation or stumbling in their walk with the Lord. However, there is such a thing as an offense taken. That is where someone's conscience is so sensitive that they are easily offended by various issues that arise in their lives and in community with other people. They often get offended at so many things, and in some cases, they let you know about it pretty regularly. Look, we always pay attention to offenses given because we do sin against people, because we do um, misuse our Christian liberty with other folks. But we need to uh, be aware of how offenses can be taken by us as well. Let me give you an example. Years ago, I would make appointments as a pastor with people, and they would cancel on me or not show up. I would often be offended that, hey, I've taken this time to be here. Why aren't they here? This isn't a good use of my time. And I got really offended by it. You know what? I was way too sensitive and way too self-important. I'm not that important. And as a result... Uh, The Lord put on my heart when people cancel or don't show up to meetings, which sometimes I don't show up and I forget meetings. That was another thing. I had this big log in my eye. I'd forget sometimes. 
But when I had people would not make meetings, it was actually a blessing. It was a blessing. I get extra free time. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. What am I going to do with the free time? How can we use it? This is an important uh, aspect of how we take care of each other in many ways. So that brings us to the question, how do you handle with people, people who are full of offenses, offenses taken, super sensitive folks? <laughs> well, the first offense is free is what I would say. That is, the first time someone lets you know that you've offended them, you can say you're sorry. You seek forgiveness. But if they keep finding fault, then it might be time to sit down and have a talk about standards of God, especially if the faults are, are matters that are matters of conscience and are not straight out of the Word of God. Paul turns us back in our text to offenses given. And his whole point is, look... The goal of any interaction with believers is not to destroy, but to give life, to help people. The truth is, all of us, even the touchy types, are maturing in different areas with Christ. We are to be gracious with one another as Christ has been gracious with us. You know, Jesus, when he treats me and all of my yuck and junk and glory too, he's very gentle. He's very gracious. He is that way with you. That's what he calls us to do with one another, to be patient. Proverbs 11, it's the glory of a man to overlook an offense. Would that we would have more of that in our age where we've become sensitive, touchy types. Instead of being patient, and in particular with Christians, letting one another grow. Third exhortation that comes out of our text, and how we would love well in community shows up in verse 16. It says this, So do not let what is you regard as good to be spoken of as evil. Well, that's kind of a weird verse to put here. I mean, he's just talked about, hey, you don't want to offend somebody. Don't destroy their faith. Give them life. Why would he put this here? Because here's what happens. Sometimes by using good gifts of life and misusing them and abusing our liberty with them, we actually do harm to someone's soul and they start calling that good thing evil. So in a lot of ways, we're not stewarding things well. And the result is um, those who have a, a sensitive matters of conscience in their lives uh, are, are calling good things evil when we flaunt our freedom. God made all creation to be used and enjoyed. Uh, but when we get entitlement-oriented... And demand our rights with things, we can do damage to weaker brothers. So, Paul reminds us in our text then of these warnings of dangers that we can have and how we handle the freedom of enjoying things in life that God gives us. And he shows us that there's a higher standard. Look at this in verse 17. He says, For uh, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Um, isn't this amazing? He's giving us the larger picture here. Very often, especially in an idolatrous age, where we're entitlement-oriented and, and demanding our rights, we'll make much of the things we're enjoying from creation, the gifts we have. But here's the beauty of the gospel. We are freed up by Christ not to be so attached to the good gifts of life that we can't see the bigger good gift 
the kingdom of God, the rule of God over an entire community in his church. That's what he's calling us to is a bigger picture of how we are to actually come to church paying attention to the bigger story that goes beyond us uh, personally to the us of us corporately. You know, many of you came to church today and you thought that you chose to come to church. And I want to thank you. I'm glad you did. Thanks be to God. But here's the thing. Before you ever chose to come to church, Holy Spirit was working in your heart choosing that you would come to church. See, the grand picture here is not that you and I uh, bring ourselves to church. It's that first the Holy Spirit has brought us to church. You know what that means? That if you're a member of Redeemer, a part of this church, meaningful part, or even regular tender, Jesus put us together. I wouldn't normally choose some of you as friends, and you wouldn't normally choose me as your friend. But Jesus loves us so much, he puts us together with our unique differences, even in matters of conscience, so that we actually learn love on another level. The Holy Spirit is so smart that he knows that my matters of conscience might bump into your matters of conscience, and right there is where we have to learn love. That's where we have to learn righteousness. A right relationship with God and with men. Peace. What it means to be in peace with God and with men. Joy. Laughter with God. And even with each other in our differences. This is the wonder of what the Holy Spirit is up to every time we get together in church, small groups. Every venue where you're hanging out with Christians and your differences bump into each other. And there are differences around matters of conscience. God is testing you, and he's testing you and me to grow in love. So, as Rex Rogers said, we as Christians do not let our consciences be our guide. We let the Holy Spirit be our guide in loving in a supernatural way. Paul concludes our text with a fourth exhortation on loving well. And you'll see that here in verse 18. <clears throat> he says, Who, Whoever serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbringing. How do we love well? Here's another expert exhortation. We pursue the end game of peace and mutual upbuilding. Let me be clear. When the Bible says peace, it's talking about shalom, the wholeness of of the way things are supposed to be according to God. Many of us here love peace. I mean, we really want peace, but in our cases, we want a worldly peace, not a godly peace. They are different. A worldly peace says, I'll do whatever it takes so we're not mad at each other. <laughs> Usually that means we zip our lips and we, uh, we don't talk. We even avoid each other. Christianity has a different kind of peace. Christianity says, uh, I think we're a little different on kind of our values on this issue. And I don't think it's clear in scripture that one is right or wrong. We might be both right. How do we work this out so we can be in community? 
That's a different way of handling differences than the way our world says, where it says, hey, uh, I, I just don't want to talk about it. I'll just pretend we don't have a problem. So this is the kind of peace we pursue. And this is the kind of peace that Paul was talking about at length in our text. Did I lose my cards? Did you guys see me lose cards? Okay. Here it is. I found it. Thanks, Jason. This is what happens when you have to deal with glasses and a cold at the same time. So, if we, as Christians, are looking out for one another, deferring to one another... If we are not letting each other speak evil of good things because we are handling and stewarding creation well so as not to offend a brother who is weaker, then what we'll find is that the way we're living is actually acceptable to God. It is acceptable to God and even approved by men. This is similar language to what you find in Romans 12, 1 through 2, which which says this, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. When we are freed, we are freed to sometimes say no to ourselves and good gifts in life for the good of another. That is sacrifice for something bigger in the kingdom. That's what Christ did for us. And the result is we enjoy peace with God and mutual upbuilding with Him. Because Christ gave up so much, becoming one of us and entering into our world, leaving the glories of heaven uh, to do a step down into our world, in our broken world of sin. That's what Christ is after. Let me conclude our time together by asking this question then. What might sacrifice and giving up our rights of actually deferring to others look like for us today? Well, these are our final applications. First... I learned a new word a few weeks back. FOMO. Has anybody ever heard that word, FOMO? FOMO uh, is mental or emotional strange we sometimes feel in the fear of missing out. FOMO, the fear of missing out. We have so many opportunities in our age that we are desperate not to enjoy and suck the marrow out of everything that we have in life. We live with FOMO. The fear of missing out is really bad. And it's true with our cell phones, is it not? Somebody texts you, you just can't take it. I've got to look at the text, right? Well, folks, here's the thing. You don't have to live in fear of missing out in this life. If you're a Christian and you trust in Christ alone... You aren't going to miss out on anything because you're going to spend eternity in a new heavens and a new earth with the God of the universe. And it'll be so rich with experience, so rich with life. You can't even begin to suck the life out of that. We need eternal perspective and not fear, which sometimes is what causes us to grab on to the good things of life and hold on to them with a death grip that turns into idolatry. Second thing. For unbelievers here, it's easy to think that Christianity is all about what you can be freed from. In other words, you know, you often think Christianity is don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. 
But what you don't understand is actually Christianity is what you're freed for. That you're freed from sin. You're freed from uh, the bondage you have to an evil influence in your life. You're freed from even the world saying, hey, this is what's normal when it's not. But you're freed to a different kind of life, something bigger. Something bigger than you could ever dream of. Something bigger than you. Which is what every single one of us is longing for in some way. Call on Christ who actually created you and sent Christ so that you could live for something bigger than yourself and not live in FOMO. Third and final application. This is for Christians who want to grow. If you want deep community... We are called to stop judging each other too quickly on matters of indifference or matters of conscience. Uh, It's time to learn to defer to other Christians by doing and starting with one thing. Listening and being curious. Curious and being listening. When a believer says or does something that seems different, you're like, man, I just totally disagree with that. Instead of quickly correcting or worse, being smug about it... (laughs) Be curious. Ask questions. Okay, that's important to you. I've heard that a couple of times. Why is that important to you? Tell me about that. Listen and seek to understand before you make yourself understood. I'll tell you, it'll be a sacrifice to do these things. It is not natural. Because we are all tend to be quick to judge on matters that sometimes need not be judged. It will be a sacrifice, though, of love. And it will be a sacrifice that Jesus himself gave for us, giving up so much so that even taking the very nature of a servant to death so that we might have life and walk with him. That's the life we're called to. That's what Jesus is challenging us to today. In conclusion... Last fall, an amazing thing happened at the Eastern Dakota Conference High School Cross-Country Championship. Now, that was a mouthful. Fargo South High School runner Danielle Lanou was running the race and nearing the finish line when she heard a pop in her knee. The pain was so intense that Lanou crumpled to the ground. She had apparently injured her patella tendon in some meaningful way. She tried to get up and walk, but it was just too painful. She couldn't do it. She wept, and she lay on the ground, helpless and dismayed. Devil's Lake High School runner Melanie Bailey encountered Danielle Lanoue on the ground. While other runners were running by her constantly... Uh, uh, In this case, uh, Melanie Bailey reached down and asked Lanou to hop on her back so that Bailey could carry her across the finish line. And apparently, to do this in a cross-country match will disqualify you from that particular running event. Disqualification didn't matter to Melanie Bailey, though, because to this, for this, this was something bigger for Melanie Bailey to take care of 
even a, a, a competitor like Danielle Lanou. And so she crossed the finish line. And it, she said, and I quote, that is Melanie Bailey, who was disqualified for doing this. It was a great way to end my cross-country season. <laughs> Would you like to end your cross-country season if you were a runner like that? She gave up her rights. She deferred. She sacrificed so that another could finish the race. How can you and I actively pursue loving community when we have so many differences? Don't flaunt your freedom. Sacrifice for the building up of your brother and the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you did exactly that. Sacrificed everything. Gave up rights galore so that you might come into this world, minister to us, serve, bow down to us, bow down rather to your Father and serve us in the process so that we might be raised up through your cross and resurrection. We ask you, Lord, to teach us this rhythm of humiliation and exaltation, this rhythm of deference, to actually give up our rights with good things so that others might grow and might walk along a little further along the road because we've encouraged them in the process. Thank you for this body that you have brought us together. Bring us this unique, supernatural form of love and unity that can only come through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.